Thank you for tuning in or streaming or downloading Blooming Out on WFHB 91.3 FM in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Melanie Davis. Today we have our second part of our discussion on HB 1041 that passed the Indiana House and is headed for the Indiana Senate. Let's meet our panelists and pick up where we left off last week. Well, I'm Justin Robertson. I'm the co-host with Melanie Davis of uh, Blooming Out, and I go by he and him. I'm Kit Malone. I use she, hers pronouns. I'm a political advocacy strategist at the ACLU of Indiana. I'm Deb Pardue. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist who does a lot of mental health work with um, transgender clients. Jean Smith, she, her, uh, they, them. Uh, bike shop owner, Bike Smiths, uh, longtime sponsor at WFHB, uh, president of Stonewall Democrats, South Central Indiana, a member of the Indiana uh, Gender Equality Movement. Um, Nathaniel Clawson. I'm the parent of a nine-year-old amazing transgender girl. I am also the treasurer for Spencer Pride, and I work for Boston Scientific over in Spencer, and I'm a project manager. Good morning, members of the committee. My name is Kit Malone. I'm the advocacy strategist at the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana, and I'm here to express our opposition to HB 1041, which singles out transgender youth and girls for discrimination in school sports. I've been defending my community in these halls for nearly six years. Every year, we face bills that single out transgender people as if we are a threat to our fellow Hoosiers. And every year these bills are justified by the same 
doomsday predictions telling folks that we are going to invade your bathrooms, your schools, your sports teams. The name changes, but the argument remains the same every year. There is no place in Indiana where trans girls have taken over girls' sports teams. The IHSAA sets guidelines for participation and has strict guidelines on trans participation. This bill seeks to solve a problem where one does not exist and demonizes trans children unnecessarily. Proponents of this bill have cherry-picked examples of elite athletes who are finding success in their sports while being trans. Of course, people who compete occasionally win. But we have yet to see any organized set of examples that trans people are taking over sports in mass and preventing girls who are not transgender from being able to compete. Despite decades of evidence of us having a path to succeed in those sports in many places all over the world and in many venues. And besides, we're not only talking about elite athletes in this hearing. This bill bans kids from playing soccer with their friends, harming the small and vulnerable minority. Every year, my community tells me about the harm these continued attacks do to them, the fear that our neighbors are being told to hate and resent us, the worries that parents have for the welfare and the safety of their children. You'll hear from them today. I urge you to listen. Two weeks ago, the Trevor Project, a national organization devoted to reducing suicide in LGBTQ youth, released a study finding that 85% of transgender youth report that this atmosphere of constant political attack has had a severe impact on their mental health. I'd like to link that to a sadder statistic. That number is 41 41% of transgender youth have, at one point in their lives, attempted suicide. How can we possibly justify year after year of continued bullying from elected officials with no problem that is solved in sight? I want to state this unequivocally. Trans people, by whatever name you choose to call them, are your neighbors, your friends, your family members, and students in your schools. How can we possibly do this? We've been in Indiana for as long as there has been an Indiana. I want to thank you for your time. Please vote no on this bill and end this constant bullying of your fellow Hoosiers. Members of the committee, thank you so much for giving me this time to speak. My name is Nathaniel Clausen, and I have an amazing, energetic, nine-year-old trans daughter who will have the privilege of not going through male puberty, which will not give her any of the advantages that have been talked about by the doctors that have come up earlier, other than the wonderful person from the pediatrics. And so with that, 
I want to go through and tell you how we figured out that she was trans. So she basically, at around 24 months, started telling us who she was. But it took 18 months for my wife and I to figure out what she was telling us. And she started grabbing tutus and dresses and things like that from our bin of dress-up clothes. And she wore them all day at daycare. And she wore them at home. And starting at about three years old, this energetic kid started to just regress and started to look at her body and realize that there were parts of her body that she didn't think she should have. Now, a three-year-old kid should never be looking in the mirror thinking that there's a part of their body that they don't like or want to get rid of. So my wife and I knew that things had just gotten serious. And so with that, we let her transition at three and a half. And I know transition is a scary word for a lot of people. But all it meant was using the word she and shopping at the girl section in Target. And as soon as we did that, she became her old self of just this energetic, wonderful kid. So I've got two other kids. I've got an 18-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. And they've grown up playing sports in middle school and high school. And my wife and I both played sports. My wife was a swimmer. I mean, so some of the swimmers we've heard earlier... She, was do she did all that, all the way up through college. And there are so many lessons that have been mentioned by other folks that I'm terrified my daughter's going to miss out on if this bill becomes law. Because she's not going to get these wonderful life lessons that everyone has before me has talked about that come through sports. And she's not going to have these physical advantages because she's going, we're putting her on blockers, she's not going through male puberty. And so this bill will dramatically discriminate against my daughter. And the whole group of trans kids that are coming up right now. So please vote no on this bill. Hi, my name is Deb Pardue. I identify myself as a Christian redneck, born and raised in northern Indiana, LaGrange and Steuben County. Um, I don't mean redneck as a derogatory term. My husband is a union um, heavy machine operator, so he really has a redneck job, right? Everything from the neck up is red and the arms down is tan and everything else is white. Um, I come here today as a mental health clinician here in Indiana. Um, I've studied mental health for the last 14 years. I'm a PhD candidate at IU in the Counseling and Educational Psychology Program. I was making it my dissertation topic, transgender mental health issues and the need to educate and train better mental health clinicians because we don't have great mental health cl clinicians for our transgender population. The statistics that we have heard, and I want to copy what Nathaniel Clausen had said, the statistics that we've heard about physical strength versus males and females Every statistic is post-puberty male versus post-puberty female. When you're talking about his kid and my kid, 
I am raising a transgender child here in Indiana as well. She is 10, and I'm shaking out of fear because it is my fear to protect her from all of the hate and the discrimination that exists against her already in her young life, right? And so our children are not going to have that advantage in sports if they choose to play. My daughter wants to be a cheerleader, a cheerleader. She wants to be a cheerleader. She's not going to have the post-puberty advantages that we have talked about today. We also haven't talked about um, the different types of identity in, in research in, in, that talks about those things. Sorry, I'm nervous right now. 78% of trans persons who've gone on to develop um, cancers in their life are XXY chromosome. We don't test chromosomal DNA structures when we're talking about gender identity, but XXY chromosome, it exists. We can't look at it. We can't see it. You can't even do a, a genital test to see if it's there. It's developed or it's, it's caught in further health issues down the road. 72% of transgender individuals, MRI studies show that their brain is more comparable to that as the gender they identify as than the physical body that they're born in. And so when you're talking about brain structures, the hypothalamus and the amygdala that identifies who we are, right? Who we are, our personality, our identity, they're more consistent with the gender we identify as than the gender we're born as in, in most cases. Um, I don't have anything else to say other than I oppose this. I oppose this for my child. I oppose this for the children I work with. I oppose this for transgender people in general because they are valid. They are valid for who they are, and they don't have to defend whether it's a birth defect or a hormonal issue or anything. They are valid for who they are. Um, I wanted to address a few of the things that have been said here today. Um, Representative Davis, um, I lived two doors down. My best friend's name was Marie Hyatt. She was also a graduate of Ball State University. Played soft, She played all sports. I believe she's four foot eight. I'm six foot three. Um, I met her a couple of years ago again, and she said, I believe I beat you at everything except you might have beat me at tidd tiddlywinks once or twice. Um, she went to the state Supreme Court of Indiana two times and finally quit as the coach of the boys' baseball team at her high school. Um, she, she got to be the coach by going to state Supreme Court. She got, had to go back again. She was being challenged again. She, she ushered in the Title IX rules that you played under when she became a diversity member of the IHSAA. I'm not here to speak for her, but I can tell you that yes, I'm tall, but she was a better athlete than me. Um, the, the other person, there was an IU, um, person here who talked about um, Jean Harper, and I just happened to look up her before this because I wanted to refer to what was in that article that is in WebMD, and I would encourage you to read it and read it critically because what was quoted was her bias. She is such an unbiased, she, she told, she has advised the Olympic Committee on what has allowed them to do the rules, and all of her science is on my side of the issue. But she did say that she came into it with a different bias, and she wasn't necessarily pro-trans, even though she's trans. But my favorite quote that she said, she talked about the loss, yes, we're bigger, but we do lose power. And she, she said that an Olympic ath woman athlete is a small body with a small engine. An Olympic trans athlete is a big body with a small engine. 
Um, okay, so who am I? I'm, I'm, uh, I was born in 1952. By 1958, I knew I was transgender. Um, in 1970, the word transgender was um, formed. I spent 50 years trying not to be transgender and hiding. Um, I was kind and I was honest and I've always volunteered my entire life um, and yet I lived in shame and guilt for what? What have I done wrong? Why do I have to feel guilty when I go in the bathroom? Um, I've been a business owner for 47 years. Um, I coached the Bloomington High School South Solar Bicycle Team to world champions, national championships so many times I lost count. Um, in fact, the U.S., our, my girls' team beat every boy in the country um, one year. Um, you have one job here, and that is the world's professional tra uh, transgender health standards of care, says WAPATH, recognizes that health is a dependent upon not only good clinical care, but also social and political climate that provide and ensure social um, health, equity, and the full rights of citizenship. I'll leave it at that, but that's your job. And, we, and I, last thing I'm gonna say is you're making rules by guillotine. You're, you're sacrificing trans people for something that you can make rules. The Indianapolis 500, they have rules for what size motor you can have. We can make rules that are fair for everybody, but by, by attacking the most vulnerable people in this, in, in this world. And last thing, historic, systemic, transphobic erasure. We've had, we've historically been hated forever. It's systemic, I'm transphobic, we're all transphobic, it's part of our society, and we don't recognize that we exist. Thank you for bearing with me and thank you for staying with me. Representative Davis. Thank you, Chairman Boehning. I would just like to say I appreciate your testimony and appreciate the grace that you, when you provide your testimony. Thank you. Thank you. My testimony was, was just support. I mean, it was, it was kind of what I would have said to that body had I had my druthers. Uh, it would have been probably a lot longer than three minutes and probably a lot less kind, uh, especially after they brought out that horrible horrible testimony from quote-unquote doctors, all the other professionals who spoke out, and including the trans woman uh, who spoke in favor of this bill. Honorable representatives and committee members, my name is Corinna Cohn. I'm a resident of Indianapolis and a constituent within House District 98, represented by Robin Shackelford. I am an independent, and I have voted for principled members of each party. I'm here to speak in support of HB 1041, which aims to strengthen the rights for girls and young women competing in sport. My testimony today is based on my personal opinion as a transsexual. That is, a person who was born male and used pharmaceuticals and plastic surgery to feminize my body so that I appear to be a woman. Did anyone else get, like, good trans girl, evil trans girl vibes when they lined her up against me? Because I did. <laughs> I, in my in my mind, that's how it looked. It it felt invalidating, you know. I think it was very strategic. It was very strategic. Yeah. I enjoyed being quite a bit better than her at that. 
been a state rep, I would have asked her if they if they thought that there was any rule that they could possibly make where she might not be able to beat all the basketball players of her age when she was in, or the rest, you know, whatever sport she wanted to participate in, she didn't look like she could beat any girls team, even in junior high, you know? But the thing that I was really thinking is, um, is like, real, like, do you, did, did she not understand that gender identity isn't a, it's not a binary, it can be a continuum and there can be people who identify more one way or another, even though they fall on the right or the left of the needle, right? And so just because her experience as a trans woman is her experience doesn't mean that's every trans woman's freaking experience. This is someone who we call a trans medicalist. Uh-huh. Um, and she does not believe that there is a such, such thing as being transgender. Um, and that what she is, is uh, some kind of medical fetishist who wants to look like a woman, but is really a man. And she just kind of like, like the amount of self-hate in that. And also the amount of, um, like, I feel sad about it. I, I, I thought about it the whole time and I'm like, I feel really sad about this because oh, like, it hurts. This girl, they're never going to love you. Right. And she was the only one, you know, the only trans person that I've ever heard use transsexual in the way that she used it. And I'm like, we haven't used that term in the mental health field for a while. And so it's like, what? And it was what, 2014, 2013, the DSM was revised. Um, uh, Sorry, I'm pulling out my DSM to see when it was done. The DSM-5, I think, came out in 2013 or 2014, um, and that's where we switched the the language from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria, right? right. And so it's not identifying as a different gender isn't a mental health condition. It's the, it's the, um, it's the um, emotional distress that a transgender person experiences from being misaligned in their body now is the, is the thing that we're treating, not the fact that somebody identifies as a different gender. Well, and that's, are we, can we lean into this? Because I don't really edit this out. Like we could, can we lean into this for a second? Absolutely. I would like to talk about the complaint that somehow women and she are being forced to align themselves with people who back Nazis because of little Susie oh. who wants to play on the soccer team. Right. Like, I want to talk about what that, like the enormity of that ridiculousness. Like, and I'm sorry that she's upset that the ACLU would like little Susie to play on the soccer team, but I haven't seen her at any of the, you know, the pro-choice rallies that I've been at or that I have organized. I have not seen her in any of the coalition meetings. I've not seen these TERFs um, who are so obsessed with trans people, like who, who feel that, that the ACLU has abandoned women. I don't know. I have these monthly updates with this little thing called the Women's Rights Project. Um, I don't know. I just like that was so that's so vacuous. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, because you care about trans people. Now I have to hang with Nazis like, all right, girl. Like you do you. <laughs> I want to make a point. It's it's a little bit tangent to that, but that Bar Barbara Representative Barbara e- Ehart from Idaho, <laughs> who was a Division One basketball coach, a you know award winning basketball player who played semi pro women's basketball and 
as now a state representative in Missouri speaking. I was the first sponsor of uh, this legislation, first of its kind to pass. And I appreciate, Indiana, you're taking this up. This is a good thing to do. After all, you are a blue blood state and you are the Hoosiers. So this is the sort of legislation that, of course, makes sense because right now we are talking about opportunities for girls and women being sliced. When I look at what's been happening throughout the country, I also look at some of the narrative that's being being used. And that narrative is that this is really about humanity and this is about the inclusion and this is, this is uh, about community. But you know what? Those are all false narratives. That is not what this legislation is about at all. This legislation is about competition and it's about winning. It's as simple as that. If it wasn't about competition and it wasn't about winning, then players wouldn't get cut and coaches wouldn't get fired. I will advocate that we bring all of this legislation back because this is important that we maintain and preserve these opportunities at all levels, especially at the collegiate level. I encourage you to continue with this legislation. Uh, good representative, I do hope too you consider bringing back the collegiate aspect of it. And with that, I stand for, for questions. Representative Klinker. How, how did we happen to get you to come to Indiana to... Mr. Chairman, good representative, I have been fortunate being the first uh, to pass this legislation to testify in many of these states, and so I believe that uh, my name was out there and my testimony has been heard. But I'm also, again, just like you, a representative who passed this, but the uniqueness of my background, being a Division I women's basketball coach for 15 years, and of course a Division I women's basketball player, we do pride ourselves on that Division I thing, don't we? And so my testimony is unique unique amongst other testifiers because of the background that I have and certainly can attest, as you did, good representative, that it will absolutely hurt our opportunities if this continues. Are you still coaching? I, I uh, still coach now travel uh, now that I've taken up uh, a representative, but uh, my heart, my heart is always there. Go who you chose. I do like you guys too. Yeah, so... Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, good committee. Uh, the question really is about, has Idaho been punished? Idaho has not been punished. And you know, we have to understand that really it is up to the states. It is not up to these other rather corporations or the NCA to decide what policies are best for our state. The interesting thing that I would like to make clear that would be clear for Indiana too, is that as Idaho passed this legislation, we have to understand that it is Idaho's legislation and I think that's important, and it would be great for Indiana to do the same thing. Representative Delaney. All as well. I just wanted to ask, has your legislation in Idaho led to litigation? <clears throat> Mr. Chairman, uh, good representative, good committee. It certainly did. I thought what was very interesting is the ACLU made it very clear that if we pass this legislation that there would be lawsuits. And, and I agreed with them. I said that there would be lawsuits and those lawsuits would be coming from the mothers and fathers of the girls whose opportunities have been taken away. But the ACLU did file a lawsuit and so it certainly um, was is in court. It was sent to the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit set it back down because they didn't feel there was standing. So we're still waiting to so the, see on that. The district... Federal District Court in Idaho ruled against your bill, is that right? Not exactly. Um, well, there there were three parts of it, but they, it was enough that they sent it to the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth sent it back. So it's in litigation. It is in litigation. Thank you. Yes. She, yeah, she mentioned um, fairness several times, fairness for women's sports. And I kept noticing every time she lifted her right arm, she had a live strong Lance Armstrong bracelet on. 
Now, you know, you want to talk about ironic. You know, this is the poster child for drug doping. You know, I, I own a bicycle shop and the official winner for the Tour de France, they have wiped out the entire record for a decade. There is no winner, second place, third place. They have just erased a whole decade of the Tour de France results because of Lance Armstrong. And she can't take that damn bracelet off for him. How many years later since Oprah interviewed him and this whole thing blew the entire, Nike got rid of it. Got, yeah. They used to sell those bracelets. Who still has those bracelets? So, you know, talk about sports and fairness, you know. Okay, I get it. I don't get it. And that's the question I wanted to ask her if I'd been a state representative at that meeting. Maybe she was just there for comic relief. I don't know. But I think that's a great point, Jean. I, I wanted to say um, I'm so impressed with all of you for being there and for your contributions. And I read about it uh, in the paper and um, as a father of a trans boy, um, I'm just really thankful for your activism and everything because my boy has never been more happy than he is right now. And I think it's because we're making a really welcoming uh, society for him, I hope. And if we can keep fighting these bills, but I was wondering how many of you got kicked out. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it happened. And I, I felt really bad about it. So I was wondering. Um, uh, I did. Yes, I, I got some kind of compliment from um, the, the author of this bill. And if anybody can explain why I got the compliment of being civil or whatever it was she said about me, I thought, I really don't want your compliment. Does, does anybody- I, uh, I felt really, I felt really sad for the trans youth in that, um, in that room. Mm-hmm. It's the thing I think about a lot as someone who cares about government and public policy and like public policy that it advances the common good and like participation. Like that's a thing for me. Um, it's a passion for so many young people to come in and have their first experience of government be a, just a, a fire hose of bigotry. I'm not surprised that people stomped and yelled. Thank you. Um, could you please, Alan, go ahead and read through the other, uh, there's two other bills. Um, yeah. Uh, were eventually, uh, uh, you know, ejected at the end of that hearing after they, the, all these people, you know, threw lobbed a lot of insults at them and then, and then ignored everything they said. And then, then, you know, bent their own rules to, to stack the deck in their favor and then, and then kicked them out when they got loud. You know, I just, you know, I, I believe in decorum and I, I try to coach when all of my people, whenever we do this, like we, this is going to be, you know, we're going to play the game and to, you know, we're going to, we're going to try to impress these cis people with, um, with our own decorum. But like, I have, like, I am so, I was so, my heart was breaking at the end, thinking about these kids and then hearing the scuffle and just knowing that that was a police officer. Yeah. Um, you know, pulling some people out of the gallery who were upset. Like, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's just horrible that we have to traumatize ourselves 
to get out there and just say that we're like human beings and deserve um, equal equal treatment in our schools and that our children shouldn't have to suffer abuse um, because of who and exclusion because of who they are. I'm sorry. I just. No, no, that's, that's perfect. Um, you were talking about decorum and I'm trying to find the gentleman's name. All right. So my name is Noah Leininger. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a high school social studies teacher here in Indianapolis. And I'm also the local co-coordinator for answer Indiana act now to stop war and end racism. I'm here today so that I can join in the chorus of voices demanding that this assembly stop its war against trans children. I'd rather be with my students today, but I have to stand up for trans kids when they're under attack. You called for decorum earlier, uh, Bob, when this chamber uh, had an outburst from the gallery, but I would, I would say that this chamber does not deserve to debate the existence of trans children in comfort and with decorum. Uh, you deserve to have your day disrupted, Michelle, just as you would like to disrupt the lives of trans children all across this state. My students are lucky enough to have a wonderful human being covering my classes so that I can be here today while they still study. Every Monday, we take a look at current events from around the world. Uh, we've watched the Sudanese people as they have heroically rebelled since October in massive, peaceful uprisings against a coup d'etat that established a military dictatorship. And today, my students, including my trans kids, are watching this committee meet to dictate the terms of their own lives. Those kids are waiting to see if their representatives vote to rigidly police their individuality. You've heard that 85% of trans youth report that the barrage of political attacks on their very existence harms their mental health. And with as much attention as has been paid to the issue of student mental health in view of the pandemic and the disruptions to school, this is not something that you can just wave away. This is something that has to be taken seriously. Trans kids' mental health is just as important as the mental health of any other students, and we should be paying a lot more serious attention to this issue rather than using it as a cheap political bludgeon. There is no reason to pursue this bill except to make trans kids suffer. If the concern from cis kids and their parents is about sports scholarships, then make school free so that they don't need sports scholarships to get to school. If it's fear of losing, maybe the committee could fund participation trophies, or maybe parents could just teach cis kids that sometimes they don't win, sometimes they lose. And in fact, trans kids, like Kit Malone said earlier, deserve to win too, and to feel the joy of success in the full spectrum of what life has to offer in athletics, in academics, and like Amy Schneider, on Jeopardy. As heroic trans rights warrior Marsha P. Johnson said, history isn't something you look back at and say, oh, it was inevitable. It happens because people make decisions that are sometimes very impulsive and of the moment, but those moments are cumulative realities. If your impulse is to pass this bill out of committee, know that some light heckling from the peanut gallery is the least of what will be coming your way. Expect to see me, my comrades, and my kids in the streets fighting for a better outcome to our shared history. A better world is not just possible, it is necessary, and it is realizable if we stand together and fight for it. Power to the people. I get, you know, the rules that you're supposed to follow and everything, but you're right. These are kids. These are families. These are parents, and I don't know how the parents of trans kids, those who testified, those were the ones that were so powerful. Whether you thought you went off track or you thought that you, you didn't sound great or whatever, no, you came across very powerfully. 
I think your voices need to be elevated, you know, all that much more because of all the people in the room, you're dealing with it on the ground. You're dealing with your kids, having to hear the things that we hear every day, living in, going to school, not just in this rough time, but having to deal with the bullying and the misunderstanding and the hatred that comes from their parents, that comes from the lawmakers, that comes from the society that is still willingly ignorant of LGBT folk in general, but trans folk and trans youth in particular. Thank you for being there. Thank you for speaking up. It's very, very necessary that the people hear you. You I'd like to say too, because I just want to say I'm sorry, Nathaniel and Deb, that what my big rant was not to say that what you guys were saying wasn't important because it's an entire element that they aren't even considering. And that's a really important element that there are, you know, I mean, I think the one thing is that they have, I called it the the guillotine approach to rulemaking, that they're just going to chop off all trans people. And, and I guess I wouldn't want to say one thing we were talking about the NCAA. And I think the NCAA has been a ally to us for ever since RIFRA. Um, And, they're dividing this up into every sport having different rules. And, and you know, sort of to me, what's wrong with what the legislature is doing is they want to make one rule and just fix, fix it. Just cut, you know, just we're just going to cut off all these trans people. And the answer is in rulemaking is, yeah, you know, maybe what the NCAA and the NCAA and the Olympics are going to go to individual rulemaking for sports. And maybe that needs to happen. You know, maybe there is a rule flexibility that can actually make all these sports be a little more fair. Um, so, but anyway, I just didn't want to, I, I love you guys, as I said, and I don't want to come across like I didn't think you should be saying what you're saying because I think it's an important point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't want to like wrap anybody's knuckles. I just want to make sure that people understand that there is no form of this bill that like could work. There is no workable way you can ban a class of people from participating in sports. And I know that that's not what your intention is. I just wanted to make sure that was made clear. Um, but yeah, well taken, June. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, I will say, and is that raising my daughter with my wife in this community, we have been so lucky to be exposed to Eugene and to you, Melanie, and y'all giving us, you know, the understanding that y'all have given us to know that there's nothing wrong with our daughters. Our daughters are just our daughters. And, you know, like I, I, I count, er, I'm just so happy every day to be, here around y'all you're gonna make me cry (laughs) i think that that is you know such an important thing though to have visibility and to have people that you can see who are just like you like that visibility piece is huge especially for adolescents and you know when you have cisgender parents raising transgender kids we there isn't representation in necessarily in the house in that right and so 
parents are coming at it the best that they can from the different resources and the different people and the different help or supports that they get to help their kids in that. And then, you know, I want to touch on that concept of privilege again, because I think privilege in, in money and access to health care is a big support for the trans adolescents, right? And not everybody has access to those, those things. And so when we were talking about this athletic bill, right, the lady, um, one of the things that I wanted to say that I got so upset about that I forgot to say, she's talking about how her parents paid and drove her to every freaking, um, every freaking game she ever had or whatever. We were so broke ass poor in Northern rural Indiana that I didn't even get to go to kindergarten because we got to ride the bus either to school or home from school. We didn't get that bus ride, you know, in the middle of the day to take us or so I didn't even get to go to kindergarten until I was or to school until I was in first grade because we were so broke ass poor. And you really think that you, that poor people have access to all of these camps and all of these skills and all of these things to even be able to have a fair playing field in, in high school athletics with all of these people that have access to that. Right. And, and so, and then you put, you want to, you just, oh my God, like that was something that I just wanted to say, lady, you have no idea where your privilege in this world exists. And, and I'm not trying to attack her, but privilege is a huge piece of it. And I feel so bad for the adolescents, right, that, that I can't serve or for the families that I can't help because either A, before COVID, they couldn't get to me or B, I can't take their insurance and I only have so many free uh, pro bono spots uh, that I can take and keep my business open, right? Or people people feel so confined again, they have to keep their kid in the closet out of safety because they live in these rural places. And what is their kid going to go through, right? And it's not necessarily that parents don't want to be supportive, but fear can be a big motivator for parents to make their kids stay in the closet. And a lot of it has to do with privilege too. And I think that is so sad. It makes me want to cry, but being here in Bloomington and being around task and everybody you know, all of the allies and the support systems here, that is a huge privilege. But you know what? You know how expensive living in Bloomington is, just being in Monroe County, how expensive that is. And so, again, it comes back to financial privilege in some sense, right? And that is so sad. Deb, I want to validate that and also throw out the statistic that I think the poverty rate among trans people is something like um, 153%. I could be getting that number wrong, but it's in the 150 range percent of... Um, um, the baseline. Um, and, yeah. you know, when we talk about like another uh, alongside the sort of like the privilege of being able to have a family that takes you back and forth to things and like uh, involved parents and all of that incredibly important stuff, you know, a thing that's often lobbed around in these discussions is scholarships and the competition for scholarships. And when they say that we're stealing their scholarships, what I want people to understand is when I hear that, I hear trans girls they don't deserve scholarships they don't deserve access to you know a college education you know we're also talking about uh, a, a population of people with an elevated dropout rate because of poverty and bullying in schools I think the dropout rate is again something like double um the uh the the, the baseline rate um and the you know in Indiana um four and five trans kids um report being harassed in school and something like 20% of trans kids report being literally physically attacked in school for being trans. And that's just insane. Um, the, 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 like the, the, the disregarding 
that it could even be important that a trans kid have access to a scholarship. Um, It it just shows you sort of where we are now. Yeah. You know, no, nobody has ever gained a scholarship without knocking somebody else out of having a scholarship. You know, that's one thing they never seem to notice, too, is that, you know. Speaking to the the point of them not thinking that trans girls deserve scholarships, you know, one of the things that I think because they're so far removed from it and not and them not knowing anyone who is trans or or thinking they don't, it scares me how much they disregard the suicide statistics, the mental health statistics. And I, I, I think they disregard them at such a high level because they don't think they know anyone in the, in the community. Right. And that's because it's dangerous to come out uh, in, per- in particular uh, to people who are non-supportive. It's dangerous to come out. In, didn't Tennessee? Didn't it just happen in 2021 where Tennessee criminalized the use of the bathroom? Now it's a misdemeanor. Was it Tennessee yeah. or was it? Yeah, Tennessee. Right. And I had a I had a client so stressed out about a trip they were taking to Tennessee. Right. And they're they're worried about all of these these narratives that trans women are going to go in the bathroom and do something to people. And trans women are more freaked out about going to the freaking bathroom. Right. Than anything else. And now it's a freaking misdemeanor in Tennessee. And, and it's like there's so much hate about this that it, it brings on so much extra anxiety just to exist in a world that already sucks a lot some days. Right. Like it's hard. Yeah. And so, so I've been to Tennessee since they passed that law. And I just want to throw out that like one of the most amazing things is that the law requires them to post a big red sign. Yeah. On the door of any trans affirming bathroom so that you can be warned that like, oh, it's like a warning label that trans girls may be inside. Right. And frankly, you know what? I do require a warning label. I do <laughs> require a warning label. <laughs> we get you a t-shirt, a pair of short shorts to say that. <laughs> warning trans girl inside. Exactly. Yeah. With the little Intel logo. This radio show is not affiliated with and or uh, uh, receives any any compensation for it. We're like the house spiders of the human world. You don't see us. We're there. We are always around. You eat six of us a year. Uh, and when you see us, there are certain people who scoop you up and set you outside. There are certain people who leave you alone because you take care of the baddies. And there are certain people who just take the shoe and smack you because they just don't understand. Yeah, we're more afraid of you because, you know, flip-flops. We can't deal with that. It's dangerous and it's scary. And they don't see that because they don't have to worry about it. But they've been taught to fear us. There's this decades-long campaign to turn us into the villains. And we have to counter that in the diverse ways that we can. And maybe once we counter that successfully and people do see us, people do understand that we aren't the boogie folk that they thought we were, even though some of us like to boogie down like a lot of us do. Maybe these attacks will stop happening or or the cookie cutter legislation that they think that they're going to get some sort of political benefit from, they'll start ignoring. I don't know. That's a hope. 
Um, mm. I have to like, I'm going to have to take off here in a second. We I all do. <laughs> I do want to throw a thing out there that play that, that plays off of that though. Wait, hold on. Is it like throwing it out there with like a baseball or a football or something? Cause maybe I'm- like depositing it like a wet turd in the middle of the conversation. I'm just having a rough day. Okay. No, no, that's- <laughs> um, Steam on a frustration that I have, you know, our community does an excellent job of showing up for each other. We do an excellent job. Um, it's one of my favorite things about this community. It's like, we do turn out, but there are so few of us. It's not like the LGB population where like, we know that acceptance is closely correlated with knowing somebody who's a member of the population. We know that we know that that was the driver of the rapid adoption of LGB rights of, you know, gay marriage. Um, when we quote that statistic that in Indiana, 80% of Hoosiers or something like that, um, support full equality, you know, that includes that, you know, when you actually drill down and say like, well, do you support trans equality? That number changes pretty rapidly, unfortunately. Um, the, 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 I still believe the majority of people want, want fairness, but there's a diff there, you know, when you drill down people's, people's understanding is a little bit different, but what I really am disturbed by is the number of people in my life who support trans girls, um, who will say that with their mouths, um, to you. Um, but because of this atmosphere right now of attack, thus because of the political atmosphere are nervous to come forward, um, Mm -hmm. and say to their friends that they think that I ought to be able to play on whatever team I want to play on. Um, even if they believe that, um, the, uh, the, the fear that they're going to experience a backlash for being full throated in their support, like that is what we need. Um, we need it really badly. And I'm not saying we need cis people to come in and be our heroes, but what we do need is for those of those people who are, who are our allies to do a little bit more than tell us in a private message or in an email or in a letter that they are our friends and they need the things like you all did and like show up at the hearing and show up at the rally and show up at the, at the demonstration. And by the way, we need hearings and re- we need rallies and we need demonstrations where, you know, when, when RIFRA happened, the state exploded mm-hmm. um, and, you know, trans people are exploding, but that's point what 0.06% of the population where are the companies you know, where are the people putting out those public statements? Where are the op-eds? Yeah. You know, we can only do so much ourselves. We need people to, to stand up against this injustice and to do so loudly because it is time. Um, this is real. I mean, this is, this ban is real and it is just as damaging as RIFRA would have been. That absolutely, all of that, all of that, the, that quote about the, uh, the white moderate they're the real danger. Uh, it's it's the people who say that they love us and then that's as far as it goes. Truthfully, we need to be there for each other. All of us, all people who are marginalized, all the people who love us, we all need to be standing up together in all of our persecutions. But we need to be standing up together. We need to be a coalition of folks. You know, it, it's all human rights. This is all human rights. We can't say that we're here for trans people, but we're not here to you know, support BIPOC. We're not here for the poor. We're not here for 
the homeless. We're not here for, we need to be here as a humanity together for each other, uplifting each other against the very specific minority who is there to stomp on us. They're they're the same people. It's not even like we're fighting different ones. It's like, they're the same. There's one particular demographic. They define themselves. I um, something out there real quick and you can um, delete it or edit it out or how, whatever you might want to do. It's but all going up. I'm getting an extra half hour. The heck with it. Yay. But, you know, for people who do have um, not access to resources or not the ability to seek out, I just want to put out there that Gender Nexus has a lot of free um, services and they can connect parents or people or transgender individuals with other people to help them you know, um, be able to see other people who are like them. And they also have a therapist on staff who I believe is free um, of charge for people who need her. And so um, they might have more than one, but definitely Gender Nexus is a great resource and it's free and they offer online services now. So you could be wherever at in Indiana and be able to connect with them and other people through them. And I just want to say that that is a, that is a definitely a resource that um, I'm not sure everybody knows exists. They have grown so much in the past few years because I I think I saw them at one of the Pride events a few years ago and they were just like a little booth and they had like some poster board and some buttons and stickers or whatever. They were just getting started and now they are rich with resources. So thank you for bringing that up. One thing that I love, though, is the Riley Gender Clinic for Adolescents, the Riley Adolescent um, Gender Clinic. They part like the in the very first um, meeting that um, a parent and a child has with their psychologist, um, they bring in, um, is it Marissa, the, the person from gender, they bring her in to meet with them. And so, and they give them resources about it. And so that is a great way that they have partnered up to be able uh, to help parents to help trans adolescents. And I just, I love that. That's beautiful. So the ACLU asked uh, Nathaniel and I, and a few other people to come together uh, and, and speak and they, you know, couldn't ask everybody. And Deb and Jean came up and spoke and signed up on their own because they needed to, and more people need to. Yes, the ACLU has a lot of resources, but everybody has a voice. <clears throat> I'm losing mine right now, but everybody has a voice. And you need to speak. You need to join your voices together and make them heard. Anybody have any parting thoughts? I want people to look up Brittany Grinder. G-R-I-N-E-R. She is the center for the U.S. Olympic basketball team that won another gold medal in 2021. She is six foot nine inches tall. Um, And when we were talking, you know, when we were hearing all those, you know, short basketball player turf uh, uh, in meeting there saying that women can't compete, I thought, we really need to have her come and speak for us, you know? So, you know, if, you know, that's the reason why we're not winning in, in sports that we're allowed to win in is because we fit right in, you know? And the whole solution to this whole problem is just accepting us, mm-hmm. you know? And so we're not going to dominate sports, you know? But, um we're playing so now we and we don't win. dominate. We may win. We may win, you know, but yeah. we aren't going to dominate. There's, it's just going to be another. And, you know, we, we can we, we can cheer for the, you know, overcoming the odds of the trans person who took our team to the state championship, you know. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, that's what that will happen. It's just like these parents who who they find out their child is trans and they for a moment they reject them and that sort of thing. And then eventually love wins out. And that's what's going to happen if we just let trans kids play. People are going to love the trans kids that make their schools champions, you know. Love and wins it, out. We're just going to fit in, you know. It's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. And the, and the last thing I do want to say is that we talked about how much the trans kids are hurt by all these when these bills are even proposed. Mm-hmm. I'm 69 years old, and I'm hurt by this. And every trans person who's hidden, who nobody in the world has known that they're trans for 50 years, they're hurt when they hear that. That's exactly the things that keep us in the closet. That's the things that cause all of us to try to live to be what other people would we think other people want us to be. Um, and, uh, you know, th- these things are very, very harmful and they're totally counterproductive to what needs to happen. I think going off of that comment, Jean, I think that's one of the things that reinforces parents' decision to not allow their child to transition or to come out or to stay hidden is because of bills like this. Like, look what look what they look what they're going to do. They're going to take away your right to play sports or they're going to make it, you know, they're going to make it a criminal act for you to go to the bathroom. Like people don't want you. It's not going to be a good world out there for you. So why would you want to do that? Right. Exactly. And. Gene, I really appreciate what you're saying as well, because, you know, thinking about how it emotionally it washed us out and, you know, it and it wasn't directed at us. Granted, it was directed at our children, but still it just thank you for being you. Thank you. And now I have to go watch IU basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. In fact, I'm going to be late. <laughs> oh, shoot. Go, go, go. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank well, you. so nice to meet everybody. And sorry I didn't talk too much, but you all were wonderful. You didn't need any prodding or anything. <laughs> what a great group of people. So um, it'd be wonderful to have all of you, any of you on the show again. Oh, it'll happen. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you all so much. Blooming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio and produced by Melanie Davis and Cade Young. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Melanie Davis. And remember, if everything were straight, who would they hate? Be well, stay safe, speak truth, manifest equity, demand justice, stop the hate, wear your masks, get your boosters, and good night from your Blooming Out family. Good night.